I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, Netflix offers a blast from the past with a new batch of unsolved mysteries. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams take The Couch Potatoes back to Iceland. I'll review their new movie with an unwieldy title. And a big one drops on Disney Plus this weekend and two big announcements for two big TV shows. And hey, that's where we begin. Yes, pretty, pretty, pretty good news about a Couch Potatoes favorite. Curb Your Enthusiasm has been renewed for an 11th season on HBO. Hey, hey! Flowers, balloons, Larry David, what could be better? Can I give you a little tip? If you're going to confront somebody, it's better to do it with pants on. It's hard to take a person seriously wearing shorts. Hey, yeah. I need you to do me a favor. I can't do it. No, no, you gotta do it. I already got my sweats on. What is it, an immutable law of physics? Once you're in sweats, you can't get out? Newton's law of sweats? Hey, I think you could introduce me as a renaissance man. Oh. A guy who speaks six languages. You want to impress people with lies? How else do you impress them? Curb Your Enthusiasm stars Larry David, one of the co-creators of Seinfeld, as himself, sort of, more of a jerky version of himself than the real Larry David. And the show's about his life in Hollywood with his friends and what little family he has left. It's hilarious, the dialogue is improvised, and he digs deep into the little gaps in society like Seinfeld did, but with much more cursing and adult themes because, hey, it's on HBO. Susie Essman, Jeff Garland, Cheryl Hines, Richard Lewis, J.B. Smoove, and Ted Danson all co-star. One of the best TV shows in the history history of TV, so we're thrilled they're bringing it back for season 11. David has a sweet deal with HBO and that he can pretty much do whatever he wants whenever he wants. There was a six-year gap between seasons 8 and 9, and I thought he was done, but hey, here we are, greenlit now for season 11. No word on when it'll air or even shoot, but David is writing as we speak, as he is, I'm sure, not in any rush to go outside. He's a bit of a germaphobe, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot about COVID-19 in the next season. He did release a statement, quote, Believe me, I'm as upset about this as you are. One day, I can only hope that HBO will come to their senses and grant me the cancellation I so richly deserve. <laughs> yeah. you, you have to imagine that uh, <laughs> he is going to have some fun with COVID uh, in terms of yeah. physical distancing. Like, this is the kind of... I could see him saying that, you know, that this was tailor-made for him. It gave him a built-in excuse to stay away from people and to tell people to go away. The trick will be, of course, how do you... How do you take a situation that has been so devastating around the world, right, that's seen so many people die, how do you take that and then turn it into comedy? And even, uh, I think, in the most recent season, I can't remember the specific examples, but there were a couple of things where I thought, eh... You know, that, that, I don't know if that's even in the realm of good taste. Like, not, I don't want to sound like a prude or anything. And part of the joy of this show is that a lot of this stuff is in poor taste. Uh, so that'll be a trick, but he is a genius with this stuff. So I'm sure whatever he kicks out is going to be awesome. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's the timing of it all. If it's still two years before that season comes out, maybe then enough time has passed that you can make a COVID-19 joke or something. That's true. So curb your enthusiasm. Coming back for an 11th season. And uh, 
yeah, when you talk about the obscenity of that show as well, Susie Essman, so good <laughs> in her angry, angry supporting role. Uh, Jeff Garland is great. Richard Lewis is, he is such a strange, like of all the people on this show, I feel like he's the weirdest one because the only thing I ever remember that guy doing, I think was Hollywood Squares. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've seen him do stand-up comedy just like, in the late 80s and early 90s, I feel like there were all these little stand-up comedy shows on Fox and stuff like that. And I kept seeing that guy doing stand-up comedy, so I feel like I know him from just from that. But I think that's about all he really does, too. Yeah, and then Ted Danson, of course, is great because yeah. he's great in everything, as we are going yeah. to hear in our next segment. Up next here, big announcement this week from Netflix concerning one of its biggest shows. That would be Ozark. We just kept our heads down, Wendy. There's nothing we can do about that now. We're committed. Oh, yeah? We have made promises to our shareholders about this casino, and I don't think we want to annoy our shareholders. I want you to admit something. I want you to admit this is all about you. It has nothing to do with what is best for us. You have done nothing but fight me on this. I was trying to protect our family. That is such a tired, tired excuse. Season 3 debuted earlier this year on March 27th. It was excellent. I thought the first two seasons were good, but season 3 was beyond great. So Tuesday on Twitter, Netflix released a short 17-second video simply saying, They're going to go out with a bang. Ozark will be back with an expanded 14-episode final season. And it was also revealed that it will be split into two seven-episode halves, which sort of irks me. Like, why not just say it's been renewed for two more seasons? You know, because depending on how long the gap is between those halves, it might end up feeling like a brand-new season anyway. Like, didn't they do that for Breaking Bad? The, The final season was two halves. But how much time was there between the two halves? Over a year, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Same same thing with Sopranos, same thing with Entourage. I think sometimes, I don't know if it's the case every time, but sometimes it is a thing where actors' contracts are going to come up like after season six. So if we make season six longer and split it into two halves, we don't have to give them more money. Oh, okay. That makes perfect sense because Vikings yeah. does that too. They uh, they will they'll have a twenty episodes uh, season, but it's cut into two ten episode halves. And the first few seasons were only ten episodes anyway. So I always wondered, like, why are you just why don't you just yeah. call this like one in season five, <laughs> the next season six? But yeah, that makes sense. It's if and then the, the, it's just the thing that where they market it though, like they're doing you a favor or something. Like it was just like it's just your a financial thing like why are you trying to pretend like we're getting anything better out of this we're not yeah but 14 episodes <laughs> is good and it's also yeah. i think it's good too that they're declaring a finish line we've talked about yeah. this before but shows when they have a finish line that they can work toward uh rather than having to leave everything kind of open-ended is uh, is better than then they can you know close in on their end game whatever the story is like lost yeah yeah they started it they were, and they were losing viewers because they were spinning their wheels in season three. So they just went to the network and said, look it, we'll give you three more seasons. And so that way we don't have to spin our wheels. We can start things in motion and let it go. And uh, I don't know, they did keep losing viewers, but that was lost as a loss was its own little animal that uh, you had to be right along with it the whole time or you're going to be well lost. 
Ozark, by the way, is about the Bird family. Jason Bateman plays Marty Bird, a finance guy who also launders money for a Mexican cartel. He ends up having to move his family to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri, and things get a lot more complicated for Marty and his family. His wife is played by Laura Linney. The supporting cast is led by Julia Garner. She won an Emmy, by the way, for her performance in season two. Jason Bateman says, quote, a supersized season means supersized problems for the birds. I'm excited to go out with a bang. And the I mentioned the Emmy-winning performance from Julia Garner, but all of the acting on this show is just tremendous. Jason Bateman and Laura Linney put on a clinic this season. Uh, they, they get into a scrap, like not an actual fisticuff, but an argument in uh, this season that is so difficult to watch, but it's so powerful uh, to watch it as well. Uh, Jason Bateman, by the way, he was, uh, he's been nominated for Golden Globes in this. Uh, he has, he did win an Emmy for, like it won an Emmy for Outstanding Directing. Oh, did it win the Emmy for Outstanding Drama Series as well? Yeah, Outstanding Oh, hang on a second here. I'm trying to read this grid on IMDb. No, sorry. Nominated for directing, nominated for best drama, uh, nominated for outstanding lead actress for Laura Linney, and nominated for outstanding lead actor Jason Bateman. Yeah, so I mean, this show has all kinds of accolades, easily one of the best shows on Netflix, and I think it, it really has elevated itself to one of the best dramas there is on television. So if you haven't checked out Ozark, highly recommend it. I will tell you that season two is a bit of a slog. Uh, I, I heard a lot of people say, ah, I kind of don't really want to finish watching season two, but trust me, it's worth it. Once you get to season three, it is excellent. Look me in the eye and tell me that you've never lied to us about anything. Have you killed other people? Of we course do not, not kill people. Okay, guys, that's it. Please, to school, learning. There is something big happening on Disney Plus this weekend. Details on that. And Jeff has completed an incredible journey. We'll explain what that means in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. New this weekend on Disney Plus, the filmed version of the original Broadway production, Hamilton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. The ten dollar founded father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being the self-starter daughter to your union. And the hope baby you This is Hamilton. This musical is a genuine phenomenon in recent years. A Tony Award winner, a Pulitzer Prize winner, created by and starring Lin-Manuel Miranda, described as follows by Disney... 
The filmed version of the original Broadway production of Hamilton combines the best elements of live theater, film, and streaming to bring the cultural phenomenon to homes around the world for a thrilling once-in-a-lifetime experience. Hamilton is the story of America then, told by America now, featuring a score that blends hip-hop, jazz, R&B, and Broadway. Hamilton has taken the story of American founding father Alexander Hamilton and created a revolutionary moment in theater. The musical that has had a profound impact on culture, politics, and education. Filmed at the R- Richard Rogers Theatre on Broadway in June 2016, the film transports its audience into the world of the Broadway show in a uniquely intimate way, with book, music, and lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda and direction by Thomas Kale. Hamilton is inspired by the book Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow and produced by Thomas Kale, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Jeffrey Seller with Sandra Jacobs and Jill Furman serving as executive producers. Don't know why I read that last part. No one cares who the executive <laughs> producers are. But this is something that I have to admit, Jeff, I'm really curious to watch it because I want yep. to see it. But I, I was hoping to one day see maybe like a touring version of the musical, right? Like I saw the Book of Mormon uh, when they came through town. I've seen other touring musicals that are just spectacular. So I was really hoping that that would come through town one day. Uh, who knows what, when musicals will start touring again. Uh, and I, I know that that experience would be much better, but there's no way Lin-Manuel Miranda would be in the touring version. So I don't know. Are you going to check this out? I'm definitely going to check it out just to see what all the buzz is about. And also, I mean, I don't like musicals in general, so I don't know that I would... This will let me know if I need to buy tickets or not when a touring version eventually does sort of go on tour. Uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll watch it just to see what the buzz is about. Like I said, I don't like musicals. I also don't like history, so it's, it's got two strikes against it already. But uh, apparently, you know, it's it's not what... As Ebert used to say, it's not what the movie's about, it's how the movie's about it, so... We'll see. I'll go in with an open mind. All right. Now, you, as I mentioned, have completed an incredible journey. Yes, I have finished my Cheers rewatch. I'm the luckiest son of a bitch on earth. Sorry. We're closed. That's how it ended for me last week. Here are the stats, Brett. I got my Cheers DVDs in the mail on April 23rd and finished June 25th, the evening after we taped our last episode. So that's 11 seasons in nine weeks, 275 episodes. I did the math. It averages 4.4 episodes per day. Now, some days I watch none. Some days I watch lots. I think the most I watched in one day was 15 episodes. Good God. I know. I I can honestly say that there were at most three episodes where I couldn't really remember them at all. With almost every single episode, I had a pretty clear memory of at least one of the big storylines, and there was almost always a handful of jokes where I remembered the punchline and could say it along with the characters. In my head, I had this laundry list of you know big moments I was waiting for, like when Sam reveals he's bald, uh, Frazier goes snipe hunting, Coach sings the song about Albania, tons of these things, and it was a thrill when they'd pop up, and a lot of them happened in the final stretch of episodes, actually. I found myself thinking, wow, there's only five episodes left, and they have all this ground to cover, but it worked out, of course. Now... There are 45 discs in that box set, and I don't have the kind of luck that will let 45 discs go by without some sort of problem. The second last disc, this classic episode where the gang thinks that Cliff has murdered his mother when he's really just put her in a nursing home, it got glitchy. It stalled and started, stalled in a couple of spots. My player did manage, though, to plow through anyways. That worked out. And like Tom Hanks in Apollo 13, I said, 
It looks like we just had our glitch for the mission, but I said it, of course, like Hanks, prematurely, because in the finale, at the end of the finale, when Sam returns to the bar to kick off the final scene, the amazing final 15 minutes where the gang sits around and reflects on life, a beautiful coda to wrap up the series, it started glitching again. It froze, and it wouldn't unfreeze. I tried it four times to no avail. I was nearly in tears when I should have been jubilant. Luckily, when I took the disc out of my Blu-ray player and put it in my laptop, it did play just fine and I could finish the episode but seriously the home stretch of the final episode are you kidding me nevertheless there were 274 problem free episodes before it it was a glorious rewatch really hit the nostalgia button for me uh, I watched the show in reruns religiously as a teenager it's still one of the best shows of all time obviously there are some things that are you know dated but overall it stands up just Great. I've been a little bummed out ever since I finished, actually. I really got used to having episodes to watch for a couple of months there. It was uh, the perfect companion show for the quarantine. So now I'm trying to catch up on all the stuff I kind of let go by the wayside, like I'm still only seeing four episodes of Space Force. And then I'll have to, I don't know, pick another rewatch show. Maybe it is time to take another look at Lost. Lost. Oh, my God. Well, hey, in a moment, we're going to hear about another show that you've been watching. I didn't even know it was a thing. And when I watched the trailer, I thought that looks completely insane. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to hearing about that. We're also going to tell you about the new Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams movie and Unsolved Mysteries. That's next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I watched the new Will Ferrell movie on Netflix this week. It's called Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them! Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. Yep. Now, it's a heck of a title they came up with here. Let's break it down a bit. It's Eurovision Song Contest. That's the first part. And that's the name of an American Idol-style show in Europe that's been going on for decades, actually. It's much bigger than American Idol. It involves all of Europe, for one thing. Each country that qualifies sends a singer or band to compete. They have to perform one original song. Then all the countries vote on... Yada, yada, yada. They pick a winner eventually. The story of Fire Saga is the second part of the title. And the word saga makes that confusing, except the name of Will Ferrell's group is Fire Saga. And this is their story. So you put them together. Eurovision Song Contest, colon, the story of Fire Saga. Nothing new for a Will Ferrell movie. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. He does these long titles, whatever. Fire Saga is Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. And honestly, she feels like more of the main character in this movie than he does. He created the movie, and he's a bigger star, so he gets top billing, but I say it's her movie, and she's pretty great in it. It's a weird movie, though. It's got a lot of the wackiness that we do associate with most Will Ferrell movies, but it's not just that in the way that Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and Step Brothers are. There's a real sweetness to this movie, and it actually made me cry a couple of times. I haven't looked closely at the reviews. I imagine the bad ones say the tone is inconsistent. That's true, but it didn't bother me a whole lot. The accents are inconsistent, too, by the way. Ferrell and McAdams play Lars and Sigrid. They grew up together in Iceland and they are a little unsure if they're half brother and sister. His dad is played by Pierce Brosnan in a role that makes me wish we'd 
see more of Pierce Brosnan. And yes, Iceland. The couch potatoes have become steeped in Icelandic film and television the last couple of years, and there are some recognizable faces here, most notably Olafur Dari Olafsson, who stars as the police chief in the Netflix show Trapped, which we both think you should watch if you haven't seen it yet. Here, he plays the head of whatever Icelandic agency is in charge of deciding who will represent the country at Eurovision. They have a very strong, popular singer, played by Demi Lovato, and they let Fire Saga, who we see to be terrible at bar gigs, enter their national competition because they know Lovato will easily win. Doesn't matter who she's up against. But then circumstances, circumstances, Fire Saga actually ends up going to Eurovision. And once they're there, Farrell is tempted by the singer from Greece, while the Russian entry, a wonderfully ridiculous Dan Stevens, who sings about being the lion of love, tries to woo McAdams. So I get some love triangle stuff, some very funny musical mishaps, and it all sort of comes off predictably when you think back on it. But in the moment, I thought it felt fresh enough. There were some very weird left turns, so I didn't really feel like I knew where it was going to go the whole time. The songs are also catchy, I think. The songs are even actually good, question mark. They certainly work wonderfully in the movie. There's also a subplot involving the finance minister of Iceland trying to tank the whole thing because the country that wins Eurovision has to host it the next year, and he says Iceland can't afford to host it. And there's a subplot about elves and whether or not they're real, so it's really got a bit of everything in it. Overall, I was pleasantly surprised. I was a little hesitant at first, but uh, it got its hooks in me somehow, and I was very invested by the end. Like I said, Rachel McAdams, uh, she should be a much bigger star than she is. She's always great and I've mostly seen her in more dramatic roles like in The Notebook or Spotlight. Even in Wedding Crashers she has more of a straight role than a comedic role. She gets to be funny here and she's really good at it so more of that please. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, streaming now on Netflix. I kind of want to watch it just for Dan Stevens like this particular scene here. Stop laughing, I'm trying to fight you! You hit me, but very light, like silky kitty fish in marshmallow boxing glove. <laughs> it goes on to say it's uh, oh it's almost relaxing. Oh <laughs> nice. And then as far as uh, one of the songs go, I think this is where I gotta hit it from. Volcano Man. And he began to So, it it doesn't sound like Rachel McAdams is singing, but I'm pretty sure Will Ferrell is doing his own singing. Yeah, I think so, but uh, fortunately for everyone's ears, their their act mostly hinges on her actually being able to sing, and she has a couple of whoppers uh, throughout the movie. Okay, so I think it looks fun. I know that it uh, didn't get the best reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it was at 64%, but that's not terrible. And actually, just on the subject of Rotten Tomatoes, I should point this out. I forgot to mention it in uh, when we were talking about Hamilton. 100% as of Thursday afternoon as we are recording this, and the description says, look around, look around at how beautifully Hamilton shines beyond Broadway, and at how marvelously Thomas Kale captures the stage show's infectious energy so that might definitely be worth taking a look at that as well in this segment we got to tell you about something else that is on netflix something old is new again thanks to netflix this week remember this music
Unsolved Mysteries. It aired for 15 seasons starting in 1987, hosted by Robert Stack. Tonight's cases feature ordinary people thrust into a vortex of mystery, heartbreak, and intrigue. Each one is searching for that vital clue to end a story that so far has no ending. Perhaps you can help. Join me. You may be able to help solve a mystery. God, what a voice on that guy, hey? Oh, he was the best. I just looked it up. He, he passed away 17 years ago, sadly. Yeah, you. Oh, I, maybe I, was, I got excited. I was like, is he coming back? Is he coming back? But yeah. Well, so the deal with this show, it started as a series of seven episodes on NBC documenting cold cases and paranormal phenomena. That first season was presented by Raymond Burr, Carl Malden, and Robert Stack. It became a full-blown series the next year, hosted by Stack, and they did nine seasons on NBC. It then moved to CBS for its 10th season, and in its 11th season, they added Virginia Madsen as a co-host, but didn't help anything. CBS scrapped it after two seasons. So it then moved to Lifetime for four seasons and ended in September 2002, coinciding with Stack's illness and his death. It then moved to... uh, Spike. It was resurrected in 2007 by Spike, hosted by Dennis Farina, and they ran 175 episodes, ending in 2010. Uh, you can watch all of those old episodes, by the way, on Prime Video. I looked. It looks like they're all there. Uh, the Dennis Farina ones and the Robert Stack. This new series is on Netflix. Here's the trailer for that. My hope is that there is somebody that's out there that knows the truth. Give us a little help. That's what we're asking for. I kept saying there is something bigger. I'm going to find out. We may have something more sinister going on. All these years, we never spoke of it. I just can't forget about it. I won't forget about it. I would have never let her go. I think they were probably taken by people who were desperate. I have no memory of the lost time. I saw a lot of lights. All of a sudden, everything erupted loudly. I get goosebumps thinking about it. This case needs to stay open. It should have never closed. I know something happened to him. I know somebody did something to him. What were they hoping to accomplish? I'm here because I think there's hope. I really do. If you know something, please come out. So there are six episodes in Volume 1. I only watched the first episode because the show was released on Wednesday, so I I got home uh, mid-afternoon and thought, I'll watch one episode here before the couch potatoes. So the episode I watched is called Mystery on the Rooftop, and it's described as follows. After rushing from his home, Ray Rivera disappears. Days later, his car is found, and a strange sight at a historic hotel triggers a baffling mystery. So I thought it was a fascinating story. Great production in this documentary. There's some awesome aerial camera work. And this is the kind of thing that separates a show like this from your kind of, I I think, sort of -of run-of-the-mill sort of Dateline or 48 Hours stuff. Like, those are good, you know, shows in terms of their whole news magazine feel. But this really does feel more cinematic uh, with the camera work. Uh, Much of the camera work centered around this hotel that was mentioned, the Belvedere. And it's a really neat but kind of like almost haunted looking old building and the way they shoot it it is almost ghostly like it's a character in this episode and the mystery is indeed 
totally baffling. It's a sad story, but it's a great episode of television. And hey, don't just take my word for it. I mean, I know I've said in the past that documentaries aren't necessarily my thing. I, it's not that I don't like them. I just don't watch a ton of them. Uh, one of our colleagues, however, is a documentary fan and a true crime lunatic and says... She thought the first episode was great. Uh, That's the only episode she watched as well. Looking at the other episodes here, um, here's one episode called House of Terror. When an aristocrat and his entire family disappear, the authorities unearth something horrifying. Or 13 minutes, Patrice Andres abruptly vanishes from the salon she owned within a 13-minute window of time. Exactly 600 days later, her case takes a shocking turn. Or uh, this one here, Berkshire's UFO. Residents of Berkshire County, Massachusetts recall their baffling, terrifying experiences with a UFO on the night of September 1st, 1969. So, I enjoyed the first episode. I think it's worth a look. Although on Rotten Tomatoes, I saw that also had a 64% rating. So I'll have to dig into that and see what it was that they didn't... Well, here, let me just pull it open here. Uh, No consensus yet. Okay, so there's... uh, Our true crime obsession has gotten a bit more serious. Netflix's Unsolved Mysteries is more than ready to satisfy it. That's a good review. And then another bad review. Normally, I don't require hand-holding, but with documentary storytelling this mediocre... An authoritative host might have compensated for a total lack of tone. Wow, okay. That's uh, interesting. Um, I, Like I said, I enjoyed the first one. I was a fan of the show when I was a kid, so it was neat to go back to that old theme song, for example. And the intro even included like a sort of specter-esque image of Robert Stack, which was, I think, a really nice touch. So, there we go. Up next, we got to tell you about this crazy game show that Jeff has been watching on Netflix. I didn't even know it existed, but based on its title, I need to check it out. That's next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I watch a very silly and sort of fun game show on Netflix this week. It's called Floor is Lava. It's the hottest game show in history. Hey, I'm I'm, I'm out. Three teams dare to make it to the exit without falling in. The team with the most points wins $10,000 and gets to meet me, Rutledge Wood. Hello. Make it from the entrance to the exit, and your team earns a point. Fall in, and you're out. It was number two on the Netflix Top 10 on Wednesday, so I watched a couple episodes. Now a lot of us are familiar with the kids' game, The Floor is Lava, which is mostly just kids jumping around on the furniture, trying not to touch the floor. I played it when I was a kid, although we just called it Don't Touch the Floor because we're basic. So some genius has devised a grown-up TV version, and it's pretty simple. The contestants in teams of three have to make it from the entrance to the exit of a room without touching the floor. And while the set decoration has them look like rooms in a house, it's just a TV studio where the floor is covered in three feet of red kool-aid and the furniture is all foam obstacles so the contestants jump slide swing and climb all over the room trying to get to the end each episode featuring one room in which there are three teams of three competing one after another and whoever gets the most people across wins if there's a tie it comes down to time the prize is ten thousand dollars and a lava lamp 
LOL. Fun premise, a lot of fun action, but honestly not as fun as I would have liked. Wipeout is funnier, American Ninja Warrior is more intense, and I think both of those shows move faster. This one drags at times as the show replays a lot of things that don't really need replays and lingers on contestants who are getting set to make a move. You sit there watching this guy you know, brace himself for 10 whole seconds waiting to jump. I do like, though, that when a contestant falls into the lava, they go right under and we never see them again. They commit to the bit. There's no shot of them climbing out or an interview with them feeling bad afterwards. They're just gone. There is some good stuff here. We've seen better, and the premise isn't really strong enough to make the knocks against really worth the bother. That said, you can play on your phone while it's on and look up from time to time, taking your cue from the audio play-by-play and not really miss a lot. By and large, pretty decent family fun that doesn't require a lot from you. Uh, I'd say definitely check it out. See if it grabs you. Floor is Lava, streaming now on Netflix. I thought it looked fun, uh, but based on the fact that you say it drags a little bit, that almost seems like a cardinal (laughs) sin with a show like this. Like, a show like this needs to move, move, move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Because it's dumb, right? Yeah, it does. But like I also said, you can check your phone while it's on, so it might be right up your alley, Brett, because I know we both do that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I just press pause and check my phone for... I mean to Google one thing, and then it takes me, like, 25 minutes. So There you go. And finally this week, comedy legend Carl Reiner. He passed away earlier in the week. He's being remembered by some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Carl Reiner starred alongside George Clooney in the Ocean's Eleven trilogy. My name is Lyman. Zerga. Clooney saying in a statement that Reiner made every room he walked into funnier, smarter, kinder. Reiner directed Steve Martin in the comedy classic The Jerk. Martin tweeting that Reiner was his greatest mentor in movies and in life. Alan Alda tweeted a picture of him and Reiner and Mel Brooks saying, Reiner's talent will live on for a long time, but the loss of his kindness and decency leaves a hole in our hearts. Carl Reiner was 98. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. He was also an avid Twitter user, which was pretty impressive at age 98. I followed him, and he often had wonderful things to say about his friends, fans, and family. I will miss that. He was also Mel Brooks' best friend for 70 years. Now, both of their wives died in the earlier 2000s, so they spent the last 10 or 15 years hanging out at Reiner's house most nights. They'd have supper while watching Jeopardy, and then they'd watch a movie. You can get a glimpse of that for a few minutes on the Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee episode where Jerry Seinfeld uh, sits down with Reiner. I highly recommend that. It's very sweet, and frankly, it's Brooks who most people feel the worst for, having lost his best friend for so long. 98 years, though, was a great run. Carl Reiner, Reiner rather, made the most of his time on Earth. Rest in peace, Mr. Reiner. That is all the time we have this week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you are listening to this on the radio, because the podcast does get released first. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.